Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Hangover Part 2, starring Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, Zach Galifianakis, and Ken Jeong. Written by Craig Mazin, Scott Armstrong, and Todd Phillips, and directed by Todd Phillips. Welcome back to Rise Smile Films. It's time to wrap up uh, another film review cast. This one, the Summer Box Office Hall of What? Uh, weird, off-the-beaten-path, strange sequels, highly anticipated films that maybe left us a uh, uh, little under underwhelmed to, to say the least and whether there's good meat on the bone that there's stuff to be enjoyed but it's just a weird strange time and i think we've got an interesting film to talk about today we did hangover one a few years ago and the highly anticipated sequel hangover part two came out in 2011 and i think we we're all looking forward to this and more adventures with the wolf pack and we'll kind of have to talk about how this particular adventure went but um hey you got a surprise Matt's back in the studio with me. <laughs> hey, here I am. I'm, I'm here sure. three feet away. <laughs> yeah. Not 900 miles away. There you go. There you go. Uh, I, I got to tell you, you know, you know, we make do and, you know, try and, you know, figure out whatever solution we can to record the podcast, whether it's on phone or, you know, I think we tried to do Zoom one time, like on the phone and whatnot. Um, it's a little hard doing it at, at, at a distance. And it's mainly because, like, you know, I think in that space, I think we play off each other, you know, yeah. much like, you know, if we were commentators in like, uh, like, 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 or, or Jim Nansen, Tony Romo, yeah. uh, you know, it's good when you're like right next to that person, you can kind of feed off of their energy. So I think that was the hardest part. So I'm glad to have you back here. Glad to be back. Here's to seeing you again. Absolutely. And a new bottle this week. Mm-hmm. I picked this up yesterday. This is Hirsch, uh, straight mm-hmm. bourbon whiskey. It's nicknamed the horizon, mm-hmm. uh, Judd Hirsch whiskey. It's the name of my basketball team. Did you know that? It really is. That's the name of my little club basketball team. We have a game this afternoon. Go Horizon. That's a good sign. That's not bad, actually. Mm-mm. Yum. Kind of smooth, and then it has a little bit of sting, but that's a, that's a very smooth uh, bourbon whiskey there. Can I ask you damage monetarily? 42. Wow. That's my favorite range right now. It's like the 35 to like 48 range. I think there's a lot of great bottles you can get out there, and... I've told you multiple times I shot based on look. Mm-hmm. There was something about that turquoise label that just kept drawing my eye. So I was like, let's try this. I don't think we've had this one. This one feels a, l- a little newer, and I like this nautical imagery here. So It's the heat in our lives that's having the water call to you. That's why you like the blue. Absolutely. Quenched your soul. Excellent, excellent. Well, we got a ton to talk about. Let's dive in with our flight question. just yet but i do really like how both this first one and this second hangover how they kind of do their credits which is just kind of like here's the lay of the land of where you're gonna go for this journey so to speak right all the different locations the 
the city streets, the cityscapes, the hotel rooms, the hotel lobbies, and kind of like a precursor to the adventure to unfold. Well, you're getting to something that I know we're going to talk about in the show quite a bit, but mm-hmm. that's setting. Yeah. Uh, essential piece, maybe the fifth part of the Wolfpack in this, yeah. in this series. But uh, yeah, you're getting to it. But the music on this is also pretty remarkable. I like the first soundtrack a bit better, mm-hmm. but the addition of Wolfmother on both of them, I think I is was going to say Wolfmother on this one too. Have you ro- ever really rolled into their stuff? Not bad. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Australian. Yep. Uh, it's a nice heavy rock band. Yeah. There was a lot of video games I played in the early aughts that like featured them on the soundtrack. Like it was like motor motocross racing games that was just like some random Wolfmother song. And I was like, this is pretty good stuff. You know, it's weird. You know where else they appear mm-hmm. that we've done on the show? 500 days of summer. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. Dude, that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> what do you got for us this week? Something we don't talk en- enough about on the show, sadly. Comedy. Some character flaw in me, I'm sure. Yeah. I didn't really look into that. And I've <laughs> had some conversations with myself the last couple of days about that, and it really is a character weakness. I should like comedy more. Yeah. But I don't. But today, obviously, that's the space we're playing in. Yeah. So I thought we would kind of piggyback on what the question was from Hangover 1. Mm-hmm. And I think that was Ott's yeah. favorite comedies. So this is teens' favorite comedies. So yeah. 2010 till now. Okay. Top three. Sure. With one honorable mention if you want to go there. That sounds good. Three, three, two, two, one, one. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a wild list. I think our three lists are going to be drastically different. Probably. Uh, just based on the types of comedies we like, the tones, the actors, et cetera. Uh, checking in at number three for me, this is a film I could watch, you know, on a loop, it's. I think the two leads have great chemistry. Uh, I think it was a pretty decent hit when it came out. It's it's the Heat with uh, Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy, directed by Paul Feig. Matt, there's some lines in that movie that just like totally make me lose it. Uh, I think they have really good chemistry together, which is that's kind of a bit of an odd pairing the two of them. But you, if you take a straight laced FBI agent and Sandra Bullock and and team her with like a rowdy. Boston detective in Melissa McCarthy. Um, I think the comedy kind of writes itself. And it was one of the reasons why I thought, you know, that Ghostbusters movie that they did, which was kind of a disaster, that if they did lean a little bit more into the raunch with that cast and Paul Feig, same director, that if they did like an R-rated Ghostbusters movie, I think that could have like, I think that could have been something interesting, but they didn't go that way at all. But the heat's my number three. Yeah, that's a good choice. They are a good pairing. Yeah. You know who has a good little part in that is Thomas F. Wilson, Biff Tannen. Uh, in that, he plays uh, the like the police chief in there, and he was like, he's like, you know what? He's like, you know how old I am? And he's like, I don't know, early sixties. And he's like, I'm forty two years old. And he's like, I have a son that calls me grandpa. <laughs> and he's yeah. he looks so old, and they made him look like that. But great lines. That's my number three. Good job, Biff. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm going an adaptation of classic literature, mm. The Scarlet Letter. As a matter of fact, Easy A. Great choice. Uh, love that film. Mm-hmm. Um, high concept idea. Super high concept mm-hmm. idea. I think that's probably why I like it. Young Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where in her filmography, but on the young end for sure. It's after Super Bad, but definitely before like The Help and uh, yeah, all that stuff. So, Me and too. I think there's the, the the powers in the writing, right? I think, and that's a space we really like, which is, um, you know, really well thought out, well written ideas, and I think that where the comedy comes from in there is a lot in the writing, right? Mm, I agree, and the the staging of it all. Great choice. Thanks. Two two. My number two. Uh, another series I really like, and a sequel that I think is actually superior to the original. And I'm going to talk about this movie a lot today. Uh, it's Twenty Two Jump Street. 
the Adventures of Janko and Schmidt, this time in college, is just, to me, a laugh riot. Uh, again, playing, I, I think there's maybe a theme in my first two, which is, you know, you have the straight-laced Schmidt, Jonah Hill, and then the kind of doofy muscle, which is Channing Tatum. And then that just kind of works, right? So you can put that in any kind of scenario and just kind of let the writing do do the job for you. And there's so many wonderful lines in, in, in that thing. At one point, that they, they accidentally ingest the drug that they're looking for, yeah. and they end up in this, like, split-screen-like schmidt uh jonah hill is in like the creed wasteland and then uh uh channing tatum's in this like plushy like hr puff and stuff area and he's like your trip is way better than mine yeah hilarious so that's my number two uh i really like those movies again uh, uh written and directed by phil lord and christopher miller we talked about them earlier this year when we uh talked about across the spider-verse so you know channing tatum is I think such a malleable piece. Mm-hmm. Did you watch that Sandra Bullock Netflix film that came out where she's the star that gets lost? It's kind of like the, the new version oh, no, of Romancing the Stone. The Lost City? Damn, that he's yeah. good in that too, yeah, man. That was a pretty good movie. Brad Pitt's really good in that movie. Really good yeah, in that it's film. It's a good little bit for him. But Channing Tatum's got some chops. I know he is what he is in a lot of people's minds, yeah. but it's not because he's not talented. I think he's kind of really naturally funny. I do too. Yeah, and works pretty well in that space. And I think it's really good dramatically too. Like we've talked mm-hmm. about it as much as this might shock people. I would love, mm-hmm. absolutely love to cover the entire Magic Mike on this series. All yeah. three of them. I'd love it. I haven't seen the third one. Yeah. I, I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, good choice. Yeah. The, I think the big miss in that series, and that's the last one they did for now, you know, nothing's ever really dead, right? Uh, well, unless it's Marvel, they're dead forever. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of which, dude, dude, I am limping through Secret Invasion. Dude, what is uh, going on in that show? I, I bailed after one episode. I'm not doing it. I'm on three, and man, it's not moving a dial for me, like, at all. Anyway, conversation for another day. When, we, when when Marvel comes back up, because they never come up in conversation, right? Someday we should start a pay for portion on a Patreon <laughs> yeah. where we do television series. There you go. <laughs> um, I think the big miss with the Jump Street series was uh, the, there were plans, uh, early development plans to do 23 Jump Street. Uh, no, no, no. It was MIB 23. And it was a crossover of the Men in Black universe with those two guys. Awesome. And it would be the third film in that series. I was like, awesome. how did they not make that happen? That could have been great. I don't know if Will Smith or Tommy Lee Jones were going to be involved, but if so, oh man. That could have been genius. Yeah, a good good melding of two comedy worlds, right? Mm. Good, number two for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, number two for you. Number two for me, I mean. Mm-hmm. Bridesmaids. Uh, it's Paul, very, Paul Feig again. Yeah, yeah. he's going to be on the list quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Big writer in this decade up till now. Uh, I'll, I, it's, I he, guess he, I just realized right now that these first two are female driven for me, which that's a bit odd. He, ca- he kind of became like the 2010s, like Judd Apatow, right? Did, yeah. Until Ghostbusters. <laughs> Until Ghostbusters. <laughs> I, that movie is so irreverent mm-hmm. and off the cuff and complete non sequitur mm-hmm. genius. Yeah. Plus it has a nice character arc for Kristen Wiig and oh, yeah. where she gets and where she finishes. Mm-hmm. I think I like my comedy to have that in there. Yeah. Um, well, it's nice to have good arcs. Yeah. It is. Redemption moments. Yeah. Must be a writer or something. Sure. Yeah. As- aspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bridesmaids number two for me. Awesome choice. Yeah. I really like Bridesmaids. Uh, in the Paul Feig canon, I think I, I prefer the Heat Bridesmaids. Uh, that, that spy movie that they did with Jason Statham and Roseburn, that's pretty funny too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. He had a good little run there for a while. Mm-hmm. My number one with a bullet, uh, the second we changed the 
the question here to you know be about the the 2010s i knew what it was going to be it's taika watiti's what we do in the shadows yeah. uh mockumentary style you know i like that i'm a big spinal tap fan but taking that world of the vampires and putting those particular actors in there the comedy just happens right yeah. What would you do if you had a, a snake for a penis? <laughs> <laughs> You're eating worms. Uh, there's so many great quotable lines. We're werewolves, not swearwolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and they do it so tongue-in-cheek, talking to this documentary crew making this thing. Yeah, it's endlessly rewatchable. They've spun that off into a TV show that's on Hulu or FX that I think is in season five or four. I think so. Pretty impressive, so... That's my number one. Uh, that would be, I think, uh, in in the world of uh, mockumentary cask, I think that in Spinal Tap, and we could find another one, some Christopher Guest joint, Best in Show or something. Yeah. Um, th- yeah. That could be a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh. That yeah. sounds like a blast. Yeah. Great choice. Thank you. Uh, do you do the television series? I've done a little bit of the first season. Again, mm. you know me in TV. I just, I, I got to commit, right? So. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, great choice. But there's people that have told me it's better than the movie. Wow, really? As you keep going on, it just keeps getting better and better. So, yeah, I got, I got to make that investment. Number one for me, Game Night. Jason Bateman had to appear on one of these lists for the two of mm-hmm. us. There's a, a nightcap question that's coming, mm-hmm. and I wish he had a larger presence in where that's around because I think he could have really played yeah. nicely in that. I didn't go there. Yeah. Jason Bateman really cut his teeth, if you like him, in Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. And I think from that moment forward in that indie space, and I think the second most downloaded podcast next to Rogan right now going uh, with Will Arnett and Sean Hayes, Sean Hayes, that one's, and I haven't listened to it yet, but yeah. it's, it's on fire. Yeah. It's weird because, you know, he makes his appearance in, I think it's called make your move, mm-hmm. which was like a family ties loose spinoff kind of thing. And this was on the same night, maybe right after family ties. And then he kind of is absent from the the world of media for a decade plus. Well, he had Teen Wolf 2, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, you're right. The whole early 90s up until Arrested Development, like, I can't tell you a thing he was in. Did he do that? Um, what was, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Not a big presence. Mm-hmm. His thumbprints are all over media now. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that because he's really talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Horrible Bosses, and it's not his fault. Just mm-hmm. I can't stand... Yeah, um, Charlie Day. Charlie Day. <laughs> I can't stand Charlie Day, so it ruins the series for me. But yeah. nonetheless, that movie's hilarious. Yeah, uh, enough to even get me through like the Rachel McAdams, which I have to maybe rethink my Rachel McAdams displeasure because mm. she's in two movies that I really, really like a lot. Yeah, about time in this one and Doctor Strange. Then make it three. Okay, <laughs> so maybe I am a Rachel McAdams fan. Hey, she's a Mean Girls too. Yeah, Red Eye's pretty good too. To be yeah. honest with you, there you go. I'm I'm a liar. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, she's moved the needle just now in two we seconds. Just did it anyway. <laughs> That's a great movie. It's it's a fun concept. Um, you know who's really good in that is uh, Jesse Plemons as the, <laughs> yeah. the, the rent-a-cop next door. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. He just wants to be a part of their game night, but he's so shifty in his just regular demeanor, right? Yeah. Great choice. Thank you. I, I remember seeing that in theater, and that, I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. The other one that came out around this time uh, that's very kind of interchangeable that I, I think is a pretty good little comedy is that tag. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, that is funny. With Jeremy Renner and Ed Helms. Ed and Helms, yeah. John Hamm. That's it, yeah. There's a lot of movies like that that, you know, they just kind of come and go and, you know, it's you either see them and you're like, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't terrible. Uh, do you have any honorable mentions? I do. Yeah. Uh, Deadpool. Sure. I I can't say it's straight comedy, but kind of is comedy. 
there's some moments in there, especially with him speaking to the blind lady that's the coke addict, that just are irreplaceable moments of great humor in my life. I'll tell you this. Yeah. The hardest I've ever laughed okay. in a film in the theater was in Dumb and Dumber. Okay. It happened twice in that film, like on the floor laughing. One was the snowball part. <laughs> when they're building the snowman and he gives it, oh. she hands him the carrot and the coal and he makes a penis at some point. <laughs> that whole bit. And then when they start pelting each other, like, oh my God, that's just genius. And then, and then the, the second the, one is the pretty bird. Oh, okay. Oh, oh God. my God. It's not even the diarrhea bit. That's funny too. That, that movie's a riot. The, so if those are one and two, number three is in that film. You know what line I really like from Deadpool. Dumb and Dumber is uh, them walking down the street and we're like, boy, check out the butt on that. He must work out. Yeah. And then immediately following, it was like, what's the name again? It's like, uh, Slippy, Slappy, Swanson. Check the briefcase. Samsonite. Oh, I was way off. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, Deadpool 1's great. I, I think I like Deadpool, Deadpool 2 a little bit better. Yeah. I just like the introduction of Cable and that whole dynamic, right? Uh, <laughs> did you see the kind of the, the set photos of Jackman in the yellow suit? The yellow suit Jackman Wolverine. Bring it on, man. That Bring looks on. great. But I guess on hiatus, ladies and gentlemen, the industry is in a weird place right now. I didn't hear that. Did they stop shooting? The SAG is on strike right now. Did they have a, the script <laughs> completed already? Uh, well, Screen Actors Guild, so the actors... Oh, SAG, you said. Yeah. Oh, oh. So Writers Guild is on strike, and SAG went on strike on Friday at midnight. No shit. We're in a place where we are dangerously might not have content for an interesting period of time. So any film that was in production has to stop. Any film that you're promoting, like Oppenheimer and Barbie, they had to stop promoting, so... Wow. Yeah. We're in an interesting space right now. Well, and the writer strikes like 30 plus days in now. No, to three, like almost three, three months? months. Is it that long now? Yeah. 76 days, I think. We're not far from being set back almost an entire year with no new content. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't hear, I'm kind of out of the loop, yeah. still trying to get my feet underneath me from travel, but my thoughts on this initially were, well, the companies already have purchased some properties and they're sitting on the shelf, digital shelf in the back closet that they can go through and find something still to produce. Mm -hmm. But if the actors aren't working either, yeah. there's the industry shut. Mm -hmm. The industry at a complete standstill. Yeah. No writing, no acting. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Complete standstill. So yeah, anything yet. Yeah, Do you know what the what are the issues? That well, it's just there's a lot of pay. Well, I don't think it's pay. It's I think it's a lot of there. There is a lot of conversation about residuals through streaming content. Mm. Boy, we talked about this. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember who it was, but you know, someone talked about like because for people that don't know, you know, actors get residuals for like any mm -hmm. anytime I go buy Halloween again, I'm giving a little bit to Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter, right? Yeah, it's probably like you know they get a little check of like what five dollars whatever still yeah who knows and the the bigger the movie the bit the bigger the residuals but mm -hmm. like in the streaming world if something is streamed across the globe 100 plus hours how do you kind of break that down in terms of compensation we talked about that mm -hmm. we talked about how is the streaming which is a month-to-month -month pay for all of this content included in your 1999 yeah going to play yeah for not only box office returns mm -hmm. but residuals yeah now it's taken a couple years mm -hmm. But here we are at that apex. Yeah. And it's a tough question because for the streaming model, if it's $19.99 gets you this plus another dollar for each of these, mm -hmm. you start getting into a price battle with each other. Yeah. And A, you either have to lower $19.99 to $5.99. Yeah. 
make it free and paid for free inside there. Mm -hmm. And then that brings up another interesting issue. Yeah. Are we moving back then to direct paid for cable? Yeah. (laughs) We've kind of come full circle, right? Well, if I'm having to, if you have to change your model on the monthly plan to keep people involved because everything else is costing so much for this residual element, Mm. I'm just going to watch the hangover on TBS Mm -hmm. because it's on right now. Yeah. It is. It's literally on. That's how I watched it last night. It's on TBS. And I'm already paying for it, right? It's already in my monthly plan. We are at a really interesting place. The other big thing that I I was able to kind of grasp from what they're kind of debating about is uh, AI. And what what some of these companies want to do is do AI scan of like actors. And that way they have it in like kind of like a bank. And then they could just use it in whatever project they want. But they wouldn't have to compensate the actor because they already paid them once for the scan, right? No way. Which now you're getting into some very nebulous, dangerous territory on like what's real, what's not, like who's in it, who's not. It's just we're bringing people back from the dead. Which, Dude, Marlon Brando could be in a movie again. Yeah. <laughs> right. So from the name, image, likeness stuff in in sports. Yeah. Now to this, we're playing around with not only the rights you have as a person, but the images mm-hmm. to the rights as that person. Yeah. And the the money attached to it all, right? And of course, they don't want to pay for that because it's just a silhouette or this, and it's actually not. I, I kind of, I see their argument mm-hmm. on that side, but yeah. in this case, boy, oh boy, we are yeah. at a crossroads. Buckle up, right? As yeah. you like to say. Buckle up. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, we'll buckle up for a bit of a different uh, trajectory. Uh, let's dive uh, head first right into our review breakdown of The Hangover Part 2. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What the hell? I'm not cool with this at all. You can't have these. Relax, dude. Nobody ever comes in here. Total violation of trust. Mother, I'm done with my lunch. It's just sitting here. I'm sorry, honey. I'll be right up. I can't believe you guys stopped by. This is really cool. Wait a second. Oh, is that Mr. Chow? Yeah. We still keep in touch. Stu. Chow, the guy that kidnapped us? He didn't kidnap us. He kidnapped Black Doug. Remember? It was a whole big misunderstanding. He's actually quite charming. Alan, he's a criminal. Excuse me, boys. Hi, Linda. Hi, Dougie. I guess we don't do dessert anymore. I didn't get that memo. I'm sorry, darling. I'll be right back. Would a cupcake kill you? You know, I don't think this was a good idea. Uh, Alan, we have a little surprise for you. Stu would like to invite you to his wedding. Well, only if you're not busy. Stu. Well, maybe the Jonas Brothers are in town. No, they're in Raleigh-Durham that weekend. Are you really being serious, Stu? You're inviting me? Yeah, why not? It'll be fun, right? Phil, are you going? Of course. Then it will be fun. Ah! Whoa! What the fuck are you doing, man? My humanizations is the last day I can do it. That's supposed to be done by a registered nurse. I'm a nurse. I'm just not registered. (laughs) (laughs) But let's start at the beginning real quick. And if you've seen Hangover 1, this is going to be familiar because we start with a quaint wedding space on the beach in Thailand, wondering where the hell everyone's at. We're sending frantic phone calls. And we get one with Bradley Cooper and Doug's wife, actually, saying... Very similar to the first movie, right? What the hell's going on? Where are you guys? And like, we screwed up big time this time. 
Uh, and we kind of get into it, and it's, I guess, a little bit of a, a nomer for the, the, the film, which is we are going to essentially touch all the beats that we did the last time. So just right out the bat, Mac, uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about retreading familiar territory, but just kind of switching things up a bit? I think one time in, so this would be time two, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. I knew what I wanted in The Hangover, and the, the joy in The Hangover is the backtelling of how we got to the night or the morning after, Yeah, right? So, yeah, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't need anything that's vastly different, and that's a conversation that we could have really robustly around the third version in this series. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with that. The question then is, what's going to be the tool or the crux that allows these events to happen. Mm-hmm. You could go wedding again. We've talked about this off mic, but I think the choice on this, although I think it's the right character, I'm not entirely sure it's the right event for that character. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to get into what we talked a little bit about pre-flight and that setting. Yeah. The fifth member of each of these two films, Wolfpack, is the place where it happens. Yeah. You got to choose Vegas because there's so much debauchery that can go down. That's the only place you would buy that happening. Mm-hmm. This is ne- this story never happens in Salt Lake City. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So then the question is for number two, yeah. do we go back to Vegas? Because we are basically reheating mm-hmm. the same beats that we used in one. Yeah. Or do we want to find another comparable place where this could go down? They chose not to go back to Vegas, and I think this might be a bit of a mistake. Okay. But you can pull it off. I just don't know if getting outside the United States Mm -hmm. to a city like Bangkok, which is rock and roll is the route that I want to go. It's not my movie. I didn't write it. Mm -hmm. I didn't pay for it. I didn't cast it, but, but that's a long answer. I didn't know what the question was. What do I think about it? It's fine. It's I'm I'm okay with the structure again. What about you? Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, the, what we've talked about, and I'm sure it's going to come up again throughout the episode, which is just the, the, gestation of the story and the the turns we decide to take with it uh if we mix up the formula and do something different uh then you get the third film right yep. and i can't even tell you what happened in that movie some kind of like safe heist isn't yeah it? it becomes a heist for chow and john goodman and whatnot and so that didn't work so maybe the formula is the key maybe it's we want to see this same group of people put in a fish out of water type of place have them not remember and piece the, the the night together. That way they can get something back, right? Yeah. Uh, so I guess at the end of the day, I think I'm okay with it too. I think then the strength of the film and I think the the burden uh, on their shoulders is going to rest on these three guys. How much are we still into their exploits and chemistry together? Uh, and for the most part in this film, I, I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. I think mm-hmm. the, the, they're still really good and funny together. The bachelor party gone awry Mm -hmm. offers countless possibilities for tales to be told. Yeah. Four guys, one last hurrah, plenty of liquor, lots of opportunities to get involved in nefarious situations, if you will, Mm -hmm. depending on where it's set. All that is, is really prime for good comedy. Yeah. And even if you, Reheat it by that. I mean, on page 16, we need to have the introduction to an animal or Mm. we need to have the cute element, whether it's Carlos Mm -hmm. or the monkey Mm -hmm. or 
as long as it's different, mm-hmm. it can occur in a time frame the same manner. Yeah. As long as it's different, I'm okay with it. Okay. My problem right here is this is not not only set where I want it. It works. And I have to tell you, this is only the second time I've ever seen this movie. Yeah. It was a lot better this time than it was the first time mm. for me. In theaters then, right? Yeah. Yeah. I still have the same complaint with this that I do the second time, but... To be honest, I, I had several laugh out loud moments in this film. Yeah, there's several. I think you, there's some clips I'm going to play, and I think <laughs> you and I are going to have some fun with it. <laughs> I just don't know if this is what I wanted. Here's what I wanted. Okay. I wanted Bender Spink to come across with let's give Stu is down and out and upset mm-hmm. because he's divorced that slag of a wife that he has, mm-hmm. that witch. So the boys get together to take him on a divorce party. Okay. Where else would you do that then in Vegas? Because they remember that he actually married mm-hmm. a chick in Vegas. Yeah. Then you get to bring, it's, and it's now, not even that I love Heather Graham. Yeah. I do love Heather Graham. But you get to bring Heather Graham back. And if you bring Heather Graham back with her little crew of wolf pack yeah. or cat pack or whatever you want to yeah. call them. Yeah. Stripper pack. And we have dueling, <laughs> like they wake up the next morning together. Yeah. And it's a few of her stripper friends minus one and a few of the wolf pack minus one. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, Annie, bar the door. That's the story. Yeah. That's the story. Now, if we can't do it in Vegas, do you have like a just a quick alternate location? Glad you asked me. I have three, as a matter of fact. Okay. Can I give them two? Atlantic City at three. Okay. Number two, Chicago. Okay. Number one, New York City. Yeah, that's that's the one I want. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Not bad. I'll, I'll save my little sour mash because I did think, because we've talked about this. Off mic a mm-hmm. lot, which was the problems with Hangover 2 and where it should have gone, where it doesn't really go. And I think she's in part three, but I don't even remember how that all plays out. Oh, is she really? I well. think that's just a an indictment on part three just being so forgettable that mm-hmm. does anybody remember Hangover part three? Write into Productions at gmail.com and tell us what the plot of that movie was. Can I ask you a question off the cuff real quick? Yeah. What's more forgettable, mm-hmm. Hangover 3 or pa- pa- Paranormal Activity 3? Hangover 3. I think so, too. I can still remember beats of 3 just because yeah. I was like, well, this is new because it wasn't in the trailer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember how the, the, the dad got done in, uh, bent like a pretzel at the witch coven at the end mm-hmm. of that movie. Spoiler alert, everybody. Weird. Um, uh, yeah, I can't even tell you the cause, the why, the how. I remember Jeffrey Tambor is, they have his funeral at the beginning of 3, but that's about it. Mm. Um, but I'll save mine to a little bit later because okay. it kind of combines a little bit of what you want in, into this current film that we did get. Okay. But I think they're doing some interesting things. Let's start, at the, you know, at the beginning, you know, the aftermath, you know, we got to catch up. We're having a wedding in Thailand. Bradley Cooper Phil is like, dude, why are you having a wedding out there? It takes five days to get there. Wink, wink. Uh, we can still throw you a bachelor party. And he's like, nope, we're having a bachelor brunch here at the IHOP. To go crazy on the chocolate chip pancakes and you know he's really kind of put out about it and i thought they did an interesting thing here with phil which is kind of portraying him and they did a, a little bit of this in the first film which was just like he calls uh Stu selfish but he's the one being selfish right it's like if this is what the man wants give him what he wants right he wants an opportunity to party because yeah. his life is so crazy yeah. with child and wife and whatever like he wants a night to let loose um but Stu's like you see that napkin on my orange juice? That's so someone doesn't roofie me at the eye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
But I guess the big gray area in this film is none of these guys have talked to Alan since they the weddings ended, right? right. This great wolf pack, I guess, has disbanded <laughs> um, because he was so weird and so strange and so off the beaten path that I'm not going to invite that wild card to my wedding, right? Right. Uh, but, you know, talk to Doug, talking to his wife, who that's Alan's sister, saying, like, you know, it would really mean the world to him if you invite him. And, you know, we'll take full responsibility. And we get that clip played, right? Yeah. At this point, I mean, Zach Galifianakis, I thought, was going to be, like, kind of, like, the big star of these three after Hangover. And it kind of became Bradley Cooper, right? Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to kind of challenge that a little bit. Not in that you're you're wrong. You're not wrong. It was going to be Zach Galifianakis' mm-hmm. vehicle until they introduced Chow. Yeah. And he takes the reins for most of this film, mm-hmm. even though he's not in most of this film. Yeah. Chow worked in the first movie for me because he jumped out and said, suck on these little Chinese balls. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> and they still play plenty of jokes on his, on his manhood. Like, yeah. it's still played with the monkey. But... The comedic element in Hangover does come from this genius of Zach Galifianakis. Mm-hmm. As much as Bradley Cooper or Phil... I guess I was talking about like fame outside of the film, right? Oh, oh I don't know what you mean. Careers, right? Okay, yes. Cooper, I, I'm sure. not arguing. Yeah. By a mile. Directing. By a mile. Rocket, all that. Yeah, yeah by a mile. Okay. You know the film that I thought did Zach Galifianakis in, which I thought should have slayed... Was that dinner for schmucks with him and Paul Rudd? Should have been awesome. Great idea, right? Yep. Let's get these like outcasts and we'll make fun of them at this dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Find me the biggest loser you can find. And they played that film so safe. And mm-hmm. that's a conversation for another day. But kind of after that, I didn't see him getting those. The due date was after the first hangover. He wasn't getting that like comedic guy, like the new Chris Farley, the new that guy, right? You don't really get him coming back to that until you get between two ferns. Mm-hmm. And then you get it again, but that's even as sort of like the straight man, almost more of a Don Rickles role. And a cult show, if that, right? I, I do like it and the little snippets that are on social media. Mm-hmm. I've, honestly, I've never sat down and watched a full episode. I'd love the little snippets, but... His deadpan is really good in that, yeah. Yeah, he. I think we've missed him. Mm-hmm. And I think this series, the second film also misses him. And I think Ed Helms too. I mean, just kind of his career. I mean, he had that great run on The Office... And then these hangover films and, and just kind of popping up in these little comedies here and there. So did you ever see that Ed Helms film with Anne Heche where he is the guy at the like worker convention? Is that Cedar Rapids? That movie's genius. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Don't you love it? Off the beaten path, low indie comedy. Yeah, that one's that one's not bad. It's yeah, man. What could be with those two guys, the comedic chops on both of them are astounding. And Ed Helms is actually wickedly, wickedly talented. Mm-hmm. It's hidden in this film. Sure. I want to see Ed Helms pair with Ted Lasso, Jason Segal. Mm. I mean, um, Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Ooh, let's have Jason Segal be in that film too. Why not? Right? Yeah, exactly. Where's he been? Well, he did that weird um, cult like. Yes, man. Film on um, USA or oh, I'll look it up. Here okay, in a minute. This, it's with Sally Field. Okay, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I'll look it up here in a minute too. But oh, yes, to to the larger point, we got to showcase Bradley Cooper because his name is number one on the marquee, and now the least funny of the Wolfpack members. That's fair. 
is happening to carry the title role of lead star. And I think they're building an interesting thing in this film that I think mostly plays out pretty well, which is here you have this man-child... Uh, what's his name? I just forgot his name also. Zach Galifianakis. What's his name? Alan. Alan. Alan uh, who lives at... He's a stay-at-home son. <laughs> Dude, what a profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really like that bit with this mom. Mom, this didn't lunch isn't going to pick up itself. <laughs> exactly. Would it kill you to bring up a cupcake? But you have this man-child who hasn't been able to get over the high that was the first film, right? He has the pictures from the digital camera all over his room. He's looking for some way to bottle up that experience another time. And he wants to be accepted by these two guys, right? Always looking up to Phil and just wanting to be included. And so finally, reluctantly, they uh, they they let him in on this, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that all works for me. And then once you introduce uh, Lauren, uh, Stu's new fiance's little brother, Teddy. Dude, all these little kids are named Teddy. Teddy in Dial of Destiny, right? Uh, he sees it as a threat, right? Well, who's this uninitiated into the wolf pack? Is he going to be hanging out with us? Like... We got to ditch this guy as soon as possible, right? So that kind of becomes like an interesting little rivalry for him. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the stuff that they do with Alan. And then they give him a pretty great little little speech here uh, at the wedding. That was a, a great speech, sir. I like the comparisons between uh, Stu and, and, and Rice. Oh, man, Stu's father-in-law rails him. <laughs> I've also prepared a few words. Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. The population in Thailand is 63 million people. It is twice the size of Wyoming. Its chief exports are textiles, footwear, and rice. Each year, approximately 13,000 people are killed in car accidents in Thailand. The climate Alan, in Thailand uh, is... Alan, why don't you skip to the last card there, buddy? Okay, sorry. None of you know Stu like I do. Not you, not you, not you, not you, not nobody knows Stu like I do. No one. I can't even tell you what we've been through because we made a pact, more important than blood. What I can tell you is this, this is not Stu's first marriage. (laughs) There was a whore in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. There it is. There it is. There's the old hangover (laughs) magic right there. Right? Yeah. Uh, But first of all, Stu's father-in-law, who's this, again, I think another interesting character, which is this overburdened, you know, Mm father-in-law who has this prized possession in Teddy, the progeny, Mm -hmm. and hates Stu right from the get-go, right? He's a dentist. I don't respect that profession, which we could all be so lucky, right? Just compared, (laughs) has the value of soupy rice. He reminds him of his, you know, uh, intellectually disabled brother who lives in a a nursing home and compares him to sticky rice. (laughs) Just brutal character assassination. And I think that's good for Stu. I think we paint Stu as kind of milk toast in this film. Mm. Like we want to see him like give it to his father. And we had that scene later. I have audio for it. Yeah. Let's him have it. Um, he just sits there and take do poor Stu. He has to take that and then has to have this revelation. Maybe he told Lauren about Heather Graham in Vegas. Probably not. Right. 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 Cause of the pact. Oh man. It's just, it's really bad for him. His engagement party could not have gotten our, uh, off to the, the worst start. Right. Oh, Alan. Mm-hmm. And there it is. The um, 
inability to recognize read the situation zero ability to read the situation mm-hmm. recognize the weight of his footprint in a very comedic way that's that's the genius of hangover and it it is obviously present in the first film oh yeah it's a man purse <laughs> no it's a satchel by the way but it shows up from time to time in this one too i we, love that scene we got to talk about something All right. uh, by the way that jason seagal property that was mentioned is called dispatches from elsewhere Oh, I've heard, I've heard of that. It's worth a view. Okay. It's weird, but it's worth a view. Regal's got this very cringy self-promotion. So, like, if you go to a Regal <laughs> cinema and, you know, they show uh, the Maria Menounos thing Ugh. and then a, a bajillion trailers and then they show this Regal promo, which is all these people, like, reciting, like, famous lines oh, from movies. Awful. And the workers and they, Danny Trejo. Yeah, and Danny Trejo. And they, they had that guy, and he's like, it's not a man person, it's a satchel. And they're like, you can't sit here. So you tell, it's the cringiest commercial. I've, like, dude, my skin crawls when it comes on. Yeah. <laughs> Stella! Oh, God. I'm like, and I'm like, dude, these people, these people probably don't even know the films that they're referencing when they're doing it, but man. Hey, you guys. Uh, Regal, you cannot get rid of this thing fast yeah, enough. It's <laughs> terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yep. Dude, show up at the movie. And you don't know when to show up at the movie because, like, by the time, if your movie starts at 3.30 and all that shit happens, your movie's not starting till like, 4.10. Look, man, <laughs> if if you are on the cringe meter worse than the head popping out of the middle of the popcorn in that weird roller coaster intro that they used to have, yeah. remember that one? Oh, I still like that, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> um, this commercial makes those Coca-Cola 30-second shorts that they financed that were atrocious. Oh, I remember that. God, those were bad. They're a little, yeah, trying to find the next filmmaker, right? Yeah, that's that's hard watching, dude. That's We don't need that. Get it. It's 25 minutes after curtain goes up yeah. till the movie. Save me those two. And, do, and then your movie's two hours and Oy. 45 minutes, right? We're going to, okay. You're at the movies for four hours! I'm gonna time it tonight. We're gonna go see Mission Impossible tonight. Yeah. I'll see when curtain goes up, like, is the, this credit start. Okay. Not the Perry Nimhoff and the Maria Menudos and all that nonsense. Like, time it from the, the the roller coaster through credits, yeah, to film end. Okay, dude, three and a half minimum. God, it's gonna be a night, man. Hope the movie's good. And Dead Reckoning's, I think, two forty five. Mm, is that how long this is? Yeah, two forty five, Jesse. Dude, this is the norm. What are we doing? <sighs> well, getting your fill because there's nothing coming out new. Maybe they should have split this into two <laughs> films. <laughs> they could have had something down hey, the road. I, I, I talk all that shit, but hey, don't. Three hours for Oppenheimer, dude. You you could give me more. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's self indulgence on a different level. Maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. Ba, ba, ba. But yeah, you're right. This is the magic of the Hangover. Just the wild card, Alan, letting him do his thing. It's very similar to the speech he gives on the roof of the hotel, uh, the casino, right? Yeah. Which was let's make a blood pact, and he starts slicing his hand. Um. So we're gonna have a mellower night. We're not gonna take on Vegas. We're gonna have six unopened beers and some marshmallows on the beach. Mm. And then chaos ensues, right? Similar to the last film, we cut to the next morning with them waking up from, like, the worst bender ever. Me watching this now, I was like, gosh, if I woke up from that, I'm dead. Dead. I'm not waking up from that. Like, my body is not going to recover from that night of just binging. And so immediately as the audience, I don't think that scene, the, the aftermath scene, I think in the first film is maybe one of its finest moments, which is just, like, wreckage, a chicken. Yeah. Uh, like what's going on in that hotel room. Uh, it's not as good this time out, but I think it's equally strange of like, we are in some dingy Shantate, if we can even call it that. 
like, what is going on here? And, you know, Bradley Cooper wakes up first and then Alan and he shaved. Uh, and then I think they get the best bit out of Stu here. Oh, holy shit. <laughs> Where are we? Oh, my God, Alan. Your head. No, your head. He's bald. Stu, you're going to freak out, but it's going to be okay. Why? What's, is it my teeth? No. No, it's not your teeth. Are you sure? Yep. Did you shake the bottom? I did. It. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Ow! That's good. Why don't you try to wash it off? <laughs> it's not coming off! This is a real tattoo! <laughs> Alan, what did you do? Did you roofie me? I didn't do anything. Stu, you swear to God. Stu's got a face tat. Uh, Alan has no hair. Everyone's sweaty. It's just it's not this. This is not a good situation to be in, right? No. And then this bit that they do with Chow, with his little dingus hanging out over the blanket, and he's like, "Was that a spider's nest?" And then the monkey starts comes is that and starts. Mushroom? <laughs> is it shiitake? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is really Ken Jeong or if this is a prosthetic. If it's him, dude. God bless him. God bless you for willing to bear that on screen. Yeah. Got out of the swimming pool. It's pretty funny. It's it's it kind is. of a funny moment of just like, tell that monkey to get off my junk, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe we're going here. But yeah, I think we bring up the, what you addressed earlier, which was like, he's so ingrained into this film compared to the first, which was just kind of like the antagonist, if we could call it that, right? He's kind of a part of the team now in a, in a way until he does a bump. Is that a problem, right? I don't know. Here's my question for you. If we're going to call back to film one, mm-hmm. I think there are three reasonable options. Mike Tyson. Yeah. Heather Graham and Chow. Or Doug. Black Doug. The regular Doug. Oh. Why can't he be on the journey this time? Okay. Well, well then I guess we'd bring Black Doug into it too if you sure. want. Yeah. Of those four characters, mm-hmm. is Chow the one that you want to see driving the action in the second film. Cause I mean, I've already made my case for who I want it to be. Yeah. I don't even know if Chow would be number two. You're probably not going to get Mike Tyson. Cause that's a mess. Mm-hmm. Chow might be three. Like Chow works for me yeah. as the little side piece that shows up later, but to have Chow kind of through Alan vicariously happen to be in Bangkok. Mm-hmm is to economizing the monkeys for me. Mm. Literally, and I mean that again in this film. Mm-hmm. That's just, again, there's lots of happenstance and yeah. contrived things that just sort of worked out in the series, and so be it. That's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. And it's not even that I don't like Chow. I really like Chow. He's a great character. Yeah. I just don't need him mm-hmm. as member five of the wolf pack. Yeah, driving the action. What do you think? I wonder if they had one of these like test screenings that, like for the original film and like, the three guys tested high through the roof. And then like Chow was like, maybe like number two, right? Like which character resonates more with you. And so that was Warner brothers saying, well, we need more of him. Right. I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's weird too. Cause they're about to dispatch him for a good majority of this film. He does a bump and dies. Jamie Foxx electro. Him. <laughs> yeah, literally. And uh, he gets an ice machine instead of a dunk tank. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the plot starts to kind of devolve. What do I think of that? Do, do, do I want to? I think I'm with you. I don't think I like the character. Is that who you want, though? <sighs> I, I, I answer this, and I have another one for you right mm -hmm. now. What do you think? Is that who you want? Yes or no? I think I want, I think initially on initial viewing, what I wanted from Hangover 2, I think I wanted regular Doug. I was like, well, he had to sit on the roof of the entire first movie. Yeah. Maybe let him get in on the shenanigans and see what that's like. Why he, not? He's eating breakfast at the resort. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely top three choices. I can see why they went with it. And he does have some funny moments in this In this. Oh, he film, does, for but, sure. But yeah, I think this is an odd trajectory for the film. I don't even have anything against Bangkok. Mm -hmm. And there's a really good line that comes with Bangkok versus Bangkok. Like that's a really good line later. And that's yeah. that, that I was on the floor in yeah. that scene. Mm -hmm. Just it, again, Ed Helms is yeah. kills this role. Mm -hmm. You can do with Chow what you do with Chow in Bangkok in Vegas or New York. Yeah. I don't think there's the opportunities for debauchery that are, legal debauchery, not guerrilla warfare debauchery sure, yeah. that are presented in Vegas compared to Bangkok. Mm -hmm. I get it. He's marrying someone and that's where they're from and it's destination wedding. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. If we're going to do destination, I got another one for you. We talk about locations, mm -hmm. brother, what's wrong with Jamaica? Yeah. Nice white Sandy beach. Beautiful. Yeah. There's plenty of, you know what I'm saying? I mm -hmm. just, I think Bangkok is a mistake because what you're doing is you're still doing city but you're doing Shantate City yeah. with language barriers and geography barriers. Yeah. And there's so much that these guys have to overcome in just getting around the strip in Vegas. Yeah. I have a hard time caring or believing that they can navigate the geography of Bangkok when they don't even speak the language. Sure. I don't, Tibetan monks and sh I don't know, dude. It's, Chow can still be involved and I want him in the film. He's got good stuff. Mm -hmm. Alan and Chow can still be friends. Yeah. Set this movie in Vegas again. Just go back to Vegas. Yeah. Go back to Vegas. That's not too retreading for you? No. I'm sure they could still find different things to do there, right? I mean, they they barely tapped into it in the first film. Do you like Aerosmith? Uh, <laughs> kind of. A little bit? Yeah. All right. So... This is the Aerosmith quandary to me. In Aerosmith's music, there's a noticeable influence of blues. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some very blues rock-like. There's also some pop rock in there, too, and like some, some hair rock stuff in there. But there's definitely a blues element in there. Mm. After Permanent Vacation and after Pump, so like, clean Aerosmith comes back and they're at the height of their powers. You can start to see the studio system kind of get their hooks into them and they're doing living on the edge and some of that shit and the music's getting pretty bad. Well, the crux is don't want to miss a thing. That's Armageddon, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can see that and that's just not them. Cause that's, that's pretty poppy rock. Mm -hmm. And then it's like Tyler realizes we've gotten so far away from our roots. We've got to get back to it. And they do that God awful album mm -hmm. honking on Bobo. Yeah which is a harmonica-driven piece of crapola. <laughs> it's also, to a lesser degree, the Tusk quandary for sure. Fleetwood Mac. Sure, yeah. We did rumors, we did Fleetwood Mac, we got to change it. Yeah. Bad change, yeah. One film in, that's why I said with one film, I wouldn't matter. Is that Starship? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we built this city. Oh, man. <laughs> Two times in Vegas is not enough. The third time would be too much. Okay. 
But if you want to give me for this particular comparison, yeah. permanent vacation pump, Vegas, Vegas, or Fleetwood Mac rumors, mm-hmm. Vegas, Vegas, yeah. then I'll take honking on Bobo. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I'll take Tusk and Tusk is far better than honking on Bobo, but you yeah. see the point I'm making. Yeah. I wouldn't have been opposed to that. Okay. I think it's all in, all in execution, right? For sure. Yeah. I just think it draws away from the film. Go back to Vegas. Mm-hmm. If your homie is down because he's getting divorced or he's celebrating, I even get that Stu would be reticent to want to do it. Mm-hmm. So Alan's a necessity now because he's got to get somebody roofied because they got to get him roofied so he can fall asleep so they can wake him up. Yeah. In a place where he didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I, was, I hop and now I pass it and I'm in Vegas. What the fuck happened? Yeah. Alan, you roofied me. Yeah. And so now we're in Vegas or Atlantic City or New York or any, but just not Bangkok. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting location. It's just, yeah, it's just, if this film's goal was to make make me not want to go to Bangkok, I think it succeeds, right? Yes. I don't know if I want to go here. It looks a little too much for me. A little too sweaty for me too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just think that's a bad, bad decision. And I don't, Stu could have married anybody, Jesse. Sure, yeah. And even whoever he married, it doesn't have to be if it's someone that is not born in the United States or family does not organically come from the United States. Like, we well, still don't I, have to go to their home country. Well, I think an exotic location naturally feels like, well, taking it up a notch, right? Going from Vegas stateside yeah. to now, like, abroad, right? We got to take it bigger. We got to make the sequel bigger, but, like, do the kind of the same things, right? I'll bring up 22 Jump Street now because that's kind of the thing in that movie, which was... Ice Cube, their boss, <laughs> yeah. tells them, infiltrate the dealers, find the suppliers. And it's like, well, we did that last. Infiltrate the dealers, find... He wants them to do the exact same thing the same way. Mm-hmm. And until they get to the midpoint of that film where they realize we have to do the exact opposite of what we did in the first film in order to catch these new bad guys. So it kind of becomes the inverse of like what a sequel's expectations are, right? Yeah. Everything doesn't work out the same way it did the first time. It was actually a disaster. And that's where the brilliance of that 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 sequel is, which yeah. is actually points out sequels doing the same shit over over and over again, right? Yeah. And then throwing a twist at it, uh, it's just a little bit different this time. Uh, and this film plays everything pretty safe, the exact same way. We have a missing guy again. We have Teddy's missing. Uh, we're kind of check your pockets. We've got to look for clues. We got to kind of piece the night together. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think location plays a lot into that. Is hangover one mm-hmm. raunch comedy? Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah. You know who does better with raunch comedy than men? Mm. Women. Yeah. Like you expect guys to do shit like pee in the pot, pee in the shower yeah. and make fun of each other's junk and <laughs> bridesmaids works mm-hmm. because when women do that, the civilized version of the two sexes do that. It's even more out of like what the realm yeah. of what we expect from them to be. Yeah. You bring in, what is Heather Graham's name in that first film? Jade. Jade? Mm-hmm. You bring in Jade mm-hmm. and company mm-hmm. into the we're going to help Stu get over his divorce party. And she actually likes him. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Think about all of the raunch where part of it is like, oh, this is so shocking. I can't believe that I'm even seeing it. They just literally got tased by two cops in front of a bunch of kids. Yeah. Or <laughs> name any of the other yeah. sticks that work so well in one. Yeah. That still works in two. But if that's happening with women, yeah. 
it's even more funny because it's so out of the realm of what you would expect. And that's the space that hangover works in. Yeah. Okay. It's one thing to wake up on the floor and you're missing a tooth and you have a tattoo. What the fun in the hangover is, is revealing how you got there mm-hmm. and then revealing in a way like there's no possible way on earth that I saw that coming. Yeah. It's almost a mystery in a sense. Mm-hmm. One more quick question yeah. or point of all of the things that are presented minus the monks, which I think is kind of a stupid part, to be honest with you, in Bangkok. The, the, the selection of Bangkok as setting provides what to this film that a domestically United States-based party city mm. wouldn't? What does Bangkok offer that Vegas, Atlantic City, New York, Chicago doesn't? I think maybe just a bit of a... How do I say this? Uh, mystery or wild card? Just because I have no idea like what goes on in that city, right? So I guess the film could play fast and loose with the unpredictability of it all, which they do. You know, Bangkok has them now, like whatever that means, right? Right. Uh, but no, you're right. I think, you know, the familiarity of a New York City and all, you know, getting lost in Central Park and just like on a ferry or just got in the subway system. Oh, my like, God, yes. Who knows where, right? Yeah. Night at the museum. <laughs> Yeah, right? I don't know. I think there's more familiarity there. Like here, I'm just kind of going from set to set going like, yeah, I guess, right? Right. Uh, I think your argument's even better too when you kind of look at, you know, the raunch comedy with females. Bridesmaids and this film came out the exact same summer. So Mm -hmm. I think the appetite of like this film came out, and I'll talk the numbers. It it opened well and then just kind of flashed out, right? Yeah. but then Bridesmaids came out that same summer and just kind of slayed throughout really nice and quiet and was like a huge hit by the end of the summer, right? Uh, no, I think that I think those go hand in hand. Maybe this is the time to do my little uh, sour mash. Sour mash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you really like this idea about bringing Jade, Heather Graham into the fold. And maybe we could still have that here in this film. And maybe this wedding, like maybe Stu has found himself in like the exact same situation he was in with his first fiance right Mm. uh so in this instance we got to make lauren a little more hateable right a little more intense maybe she's just like her father right Mm -hmm. and he's going to this wedding and so maybe it's not a wedding and this bachelor party is instead of a rescue mission so you know if alan has such great connections you can bring chow here at a moment's notice love that too he could probably bring jade back uh here too as well right jesse it's really good plan it out and then we can kind of have your idea here. We can have Jade and her little crew, cadre of strippers, whatever, kind of going with the the this bachelor party. And the kind of goal of that is to like, if these two had such great chemistry, these are the two that need to be together. And Phil kind of says that earlier. If you had never met Jade, you would be married to that crazy witch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that they see that and they try and make that happen. So it almost becomes kind of like a rescue matchmaking yeah. hangover, right? Yeah. That's a better movie, man. Yeah. And then, so you got to get out of this wedding. You got to like get out of the situation. And yeah, I think there's a lot of drama there. And I think some great comedic uh, situations that could arise. I'm with you. Uh, but yeah, the, the monk, uh, the, we got to talk about this, this tattoo parlor scene because this, this was pretty interesting, you know, just me reading in the development of the film. And I remember some of these stories coming out that initially that this tattoo artist was supposed to be Mel Gibson. But oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, and so then they bailed on that too just because of, you know, the Mel Gibson of it all, right? And then they got Liam Neeson, and then they filmed a scene with him being the tattoo artist, and then through some editing gaffe that they cut the scene that led to the Liam Neeson scene 
and then needed to reshoot it, but he wasn't available. So then they had to redo it with Nick Cassavetes here. You know, it come, went from here to there to there to, to that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a fine scene, right? Sure. It's yeah. just, you know, him trying to tell me, like, you got this thing. You guys caused chaos in the streets. You had this monk with you. He's taking a vow of silence. Um, it's just odd, you know, right? It's like the a Mel Gibson camera, that would have been wild, right? I could oh. see Mel Gibson playing a Bangkok tattoo artist. Sure. Uh, it seems about right for him, right? Yeah. Uh, and he kind of just get this and it's just kind of, it's just lukewarm, right? It's just kind mm-hmm. of okay. It's just, it gets us to the next scene, which is this monastery. Missed opportunity. Missed opportunities, right? I, I think it's fine. It's just, a, I think it could have been better. Uh, well, I do- and then, okay. Can we talk about that space for a minute to turn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we begin the uncover of how we got to where we come to the tattoo artist that's next to a bar that seems to be completely shut down because it's been burned to the ground. Is a bar fight? Mm-hmm really what the wolf pack would be involved in and do i care enough in all of the debauchery steal the tiger from mike tyson kind of play about a bar fight jesse i think, I think it, all of that stuff is definitely less in this film it's kind of weak man yeah that's weak that's now, that's look, that's just not i don't want to say mailed in because it's not mailed in it might be okay uh, maybe it is let me ask you this this one time yeah. uh so hangover comes out in may of 20, 2009 they already are green lighting the sequel in april because of they know they got a hit on their hands huge hit so then this film comes out two years literally that same weekend two years later there's no time to put together like a really ingenious script in that time when you have to be filming by year's end right like it's so quick the turnaround time on on getting the sequel out here with a an even larger budget almost 80 million dollars this time that's even more maddening now. Yeah. Because if you don't have time to craft something from spec genius, mm-hmm. then use what's already in play. And see, they even had thought about it because the stew situation is ripe to bang around on. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have time to go A, B, C, D from beat one through this completely creative story that follows up a smash hit because you just don't have time to pin it, then you have to call back on what you've already set up. And they already had many things set up. A lot of threads. And they did. Like, let's get Stu with a girl that matters. Let's use one of the characters from the old film because those were all really great supporting characters. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go to mm, Bangkok. Okay, what does Bangkok have to offer? Strippers, bar fights, monks, tattoos. Yeah. The monk thing doesn't play well. Watching the monk beat the wolf pack up because they're speaking with the bamboo staff is stupid. It's not funny. That's just bullshit. I do like Alan's line when he's like, what is this, P.F. Chang's? Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, the lines are funny, but the I think, the, like, that's... The situation isn't, right? And a fucking bar fight? Yeah. That's not funny. Yeah. That's... I've I've seen Roadhouse. Yeah. That's, that's weak, man. That's yeah. weak writing. And then, okay, you know what's worse than losing a tooth that's mm-hmm. even more permanent is a tattoo. Yeah. That has, you said it, Yeah, that has to kill. Yeah. Who is tattooing him has to be a disaster. Yeah. That needs to be, oh yeah, you were here last night and you married this chick. That needs to be that moment. Yeah, like this is a big bad decision. And it's not, it's just like, yeah, you guys were in a bar fight and it pulled you in here because all hell was breaking loose. Yeah. What? I think it was the worst decision on the filmmaker's part because they got sued for this tattoo because the it's the Mike Tyson tattoo, right? Yeah. And so that artist that gave Tyson that tattoo was like, you guys 
I guess it was something he actually he or she drew up, right? They didn't even get permission to use the image in the tattoos, right? Aye, aye, they aye. just did it. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. You're not uh, crossing your T's and dotting your I's on this one, right? You know what's better than that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> STD. Yeah. I know there's not sudden onset STD, mm-hmm. but in The Hangover, why isn't there? Yeah. When, <laughs> when we find out about the strip club bit with <clears throat> Stu. Oh, okay, go. You know, dance for him. He tickled me. We had sex. And wow. Sasha showed us. Fuck. It's okay. Hey, <laughs> you're not married yet. It's no big deal. It's cheating. Okay? No offense to you. You're a lovely woman. It's a violation of my moral code. Don't be sad, Stu. You love it. You were crying, <laughs> saying how special it was. Wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. He was crying? What a baby. He was crying. You should have seen him. He was so sexy. The way he moved around. I had to ask him to slow down so I'm drop my load too quick. Load? What load? Oh, you know. My sperms. <laughs> your English is off. He's talking about my sperm. Where would your sperm come from? From my balls. Hold on. Back up. <laughs> So they end up in a crazy situation here, right? Which is this, you know, it played by the same guy too, um, the the strip club owner that uh, ran the marriage, uh, the marriage parlor in the first film, right? Yeah. So you know this thing, and you know, Stu had a sexual tryst with a transsexual, right? And he's just like, oh my god, like like this is even worse now for him, right? I think they get some decent play out of this this little too. situation here, right? Uh and I like I love Phil's enthusiasm. Like he was crying, and then he's like, "Wait a minute, what 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 happened here? What exactly happened here?" Yeah. Uh, and just like they're beside themselves at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I think you know we're 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 we're, we're checking the boxes. We're kind of following that similar roadmap. We're getting into crazy situations. They come and steal the monkey. They shoot Phil, and it's just like, yeah, it's. We got to make things worse before we can kind of get them a little bit better. And it's all kind of built around Chow. But do you like, I'm going to play the next clip now. Do you kind of like the reasoning for, for all of this? Teddy's fault. What are you talking about, Alan? Why is he even here? He's not part of the wolf pack. Alan, what did you do? It's not my fault. Teddy shouldn't have been sharing from his bag. What bag? The marshmallows. I had a separate bag just for Teddy. But it was dark and it was hard to keep track. And then you almost sat on I couldn't tell which was which. It was mayhem. What did you do to the marshmallows, Alan? Alan, what did you do? Wasn't well, it obvious? I spiked them with muscle relaxers. And plus my ADHD medication. What? You brought us again? Not you. I just wanted to knock out Teddy for a little while so we could finally enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the weekend? Alan, you told me that you didn't do anything. Alan, you swear to God! I just wanted things to stay the same. Look at my face! You ruined my life! You're not my friend. Don't say that, Phil. Are you serious even in America? Yes! Oh, God, don't say that, Phil! Don't start crying, Alan. There's a bearded devil! You liked it. You you smiled at me when I held up a bag of marshmallows. Because I like marshmallows! You fucking psycho! Oh, hey! Looks pretty good. <laughs> I can see it too. I mean, you know, with Alan just wanting to return to the first adventure, right? Yeah. Have more of the same, be friends with these guys. Uh, so to kind of have the situation kind of bend in your favor. 
Uh, and then they mix up and then they just ended up with the hell mess, right? You know, they're eating the muscle relaxer things or they're blacking out. They're getting into crazy situations. Uh, so it kind of did not work out in their favor. This is, it's, it's still there. Mm-hmm. The hangover genius is still there in small samples in yeah. this film. Yeah. Lesser samples. That's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. The stuff with the, the, the girl boy or she boy or whatever they call them. Yeah. That's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's there. Yeah. It's just, I think sometimes when, and maybe it is the speed thing, mm-hmm. when they got themselves into a corner and didn't quite know where to go to get to the next important piece mm-hmm. in the story, the default is violence, but it's not even violence present. It's violence off screen. Yeah. And that's that's where it falls apart. But that's good stuff. To me, the one part in this, yeah, I, me too. I like, I lo- I just, and I think that's where I really like these guys, right? I mm-hmm. like seeing them interact. They have an interesting, almost Three Stooges vibe about yeah. them. Well said, yes. Alan's kind of the curly mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, Phil Bradley Cooper's the, the, the Mo, like kind of the, like the straight man and... Stu's like the Larry, right? The mm-hmm. middle, the middle child, right? Yeah. And they play off each other in that dynamic. And I think that's what works. Like I'm willing to see that wherever you want to take, I guess until part three, which I can't remember. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the one aspect in this film that just does not work for me is, dude, what the hell is Paul Giamatti doing in this movie? <laughs> Man, that's a good question. And <laughs> that character as what seems to be kind of has like a Russian feel to it. Then later you find out is dude, like, is it the rhino? I am the rhino. Oh, yeah. You're right, huh? <laughs> Later we find out it's an undercover Interpol agent. Yeah, what are we what doing? Are we, yeah. That's exactly it. What are we doing? Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah, it's this whole extra subplot of like, I want Chow. Chow House something that I need. And then we'll give you Teddy. And we have Teddy. And they're just lying to them about having Teddy just to... Get Chow. Just to get Chow, right? Yeah, yeah, that that kind of doesn't work, and it's kind of the crook, the the climax of the film, right? Which is this: Chow's alive in the ice. So the box. climax of the film happened in the strip club. Sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but Stu is crying. Exactly. Uh, Chow's still alive in the ice box. Comes out very similar to the way he comes out in the cop car, right? Yeah, beats them up, and you know he kind of plays out like you know, well, this is what's been going on. Feeling better? You all right? You warm enough? I don't know. Come feel my balls and tell me. I've been locked in a fucking icebox all day. Hey, Alan, you want my awesome sunglasses? You just asked Chow. You don't have to kill me. Chow, nobody killed you. You were already dead. You didn't have a pulse. Oh, you never do blow before? Sometime your heart stop, start up again. Read a book. Look, I'm sorry. We're just having a bad day. Oh. You're having a bad day? Did you die? I got shot. But did you die? Chow, some guy told us that you got a bank code or something, and if we don't bring it to him first thing in the morning, he's going to kill Teddy. Who, Kingsley? He harmless. Don't worry. I got the bank codes. Great. All right, we got to meet him at 8 a.m. Who is that fucking guy anyway? Invest in my business. Yeah? What business is that? It's called Not Your Business, okay? Oh. Where's the monkey? Monkey? Yeah. I stashed the account number and password in his vest. Where is he? Why would you do that? Safekeeping, pretty boy. I got a lot of heat on my ass. I got FBI, Bangkok PD, Interpol, MSNBC, 
That little monkey snorting coke with me all night. Joking me off while I watch through make fuck with Ladyboy. <laughs> <laughs> I love stupid little dialogue like that. I have Interpol, FBI, Bangkok PD, and MSNBC. Yeah. Like it, it reminds me of the line in Superbad when they get on the bus towards the end of the film and that little vagrant homeless man is like, hey, it's you, McMuffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like that stuff works for me. It's just like this is just it's it's getting all over the place. Now we gotta get a fucking monkey. But I do gotta tell you, so they gotta go steal the monkey back that was taken by these drug dealers, right? Mm-hmm. Ed Helms stew trying to wrangle this monkey back into that car, dude. That had me laughing. Yeah, dude. <laughs> He's so strong. He's so strong. Uh but we're just doing chases now, right? I mean, it's yeah, just so kind it, of what I said earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're gonna move into a car chase. Yeah. Oh, that's not this film. Mm-hmm. That's not this film. Or that's not what I want this film to be. That's not what the first one was. These drug dealers, now we've got gunplay, we're getting windows shot out, and we this is punting. Mm-hmm. This is mailing it in. Yeah. We don't know where to go with this. And I just feel like I don't really don't have anything against monkeys. I don't. Yeah. I feel like they're really easy out when you need it. Because they're a monkey? Yes. Because they're out and they're cute and they're kind of like humans, but they can't speak. And what's funnier than watching a drug dealing monkey smoke a cigarette? Mm -hmm. That's bullshit, man. You know what was great? Was watching Carlos get sunglasses put on in the first Mm -hmm. film. Yeah. It's safe, Mm -hmm. but then taking something safe and giving it a bit of an edge. Yeah. Carlos is the monkey but not safe. The, the, the real, monkey's safe. Yeah, the real great thing about that first tango was like around every, like just when they thought they had like either got another clue or like had solved that mystery, it was like something else popped. It was like, oh my God, this tiger in the back of the car or this tiger in the hotel, we got to figure that out. Like it was just like another thing that was like these breadcrumbs, right? Like leading us down the path of like, we got to find Doug, right? When you chose Chow yeah. as the driving force, what you chose was criminality. Yeah. If you choose one of Jade's stripper buddies, yeah. you choose debauchery. Mm-hmm. You choose stripper humor. You choose sexual humor. Yeah. And kind of what we talked about is that the lady boy, you know, we I, I shot my, my sperms into you and you shot yours on the floor as we climax together, but which has just had me in stitches. How does that work? Oh my God. <laughs> and then he cries. Yeah. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Criminality's not funny. Watching this monkey navigate this network of drug dealing as he scales this trapeze-like blood, it's interesting, but it's not funny. I think it's funny because it's extreme, too. I, re- I remember that particular bit in the theater was just like, oh, my God, we're going there. And then the film just, like, goes down its kind of safe pedestrian path right after that scene, right? Yeah, of course the drug dealer's going to shoot out your windows, but you know nothing's going to happen because these guys can't matter because mm-hmm. Chow still matters, and you can't kill one of the wolf pack. Yeah. Like you shoot Alan and he's dead. Mm-hmm. People are like, what the hell? Yeah. I'm, you can't. It's almost like when, once you introduce like these crazy elements, you got you to gotta keep topping each other until you get to your climax. Look, and part of that is the success of the first film. Mm-hmm. That movie is so wildly successful and top shelf, unique, high concept. Yeah. And then you're trying to double down on the high concept with the same principles, but elevate them. Look, that's a big challenge. Yeah. I, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. But- that's why you make a lot of money to write. And you know what? I'd love a crack at that. Give me a crack at, yeah. give me, give me the mic or give me the pen. Well, we've come up with two good ideas in the, in the span of about 50 minutes here. So and we've had several years to think about it. So it's a bit cherry pick, but nonetheless, that's why you choose these writers. Mm-hmm. 
And I just think to have a street chase with drug dealers through the streets of Bangkok, although the Ed Helms trying to pull the monkey off the wheel well is funny. Yeah. And then to have the monkey get shot is just, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. You're I'm just, done I'm, I'm out. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. I'm is, done. Is this John Carpenter writing the script for Halloween oh. two with the six pack of Budweiser yes. doing like, I don't even know what to do, but fuck it. Right. I'm getting paid. I'm getting monkey shot. Right. Kind of wonder. Yeah. Who wrote this? Like, Todd Phillips? I, no. Well, yeah, he was one of the three. So I'm sure he put his little stamp on it. Uh, I was, uh, Craig Mason and Scott Armstrong. Who? Craig Mason actually has some credits. He's actually, he was the showrunner on Chernobyl and the last of us. So that's not comedy. Not people. funny. <laughs> uh, scary movie three and four identity Ugh. thief. Ugh. That's that. Um, that's a comedy. Yeah. Uh, Scott Armstrong. Let's see what he's done. Well, this is a Todd Phillips guy. So he did old school semi pro road trip. Oh, so those are, those are reasonable comedies. And Todd, some Phillips, traction. Todd Phillips comedy. So, I, the I original get, writers, John Lucas and, forgive me, Scott Moore, they didn't want to come back because they kind of felt like, we're just going to do the same thing again. So they went and did something else. I have no idea what they passed on Hangover 2, and who knows what they did after. So It might have been a mistake. Yeah, Scott Mason. They turned open last of us. Like, Those are good shows, but like I don't think Hangover Part 2, and I think of that guy, right? Yeah, no way. Anyway. Well, look, the time thing is an issue like you brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. Greenlit two months into your run, get it going now. I, yeah. That's a challenge. Because mm-hmm. the, the, what they do in those instances is like, we're going to do a sequel. Here's the release date, May 26, 2011. Get that script finished, right? I, yes. Mm-hmm. I would venture to guess, other than Murray Head's One Night in Bangkok, mm-hmm. the writers of this film have no idea what the hell goes on in Bangkok. Yeah, unless you, you've gone and can... And had a similar night, right? I would also be willing to bet on the same parlay mm-hmm. that they probably have spent time in Vegas and New York City. Yeah. So as important as setting is to this, go with a familiar setting to you because you write what you know. Yeah. And unless you're going to go red light district, God forbid, Bangkok mm-hmm. would do that. Mm-hmm. Then you're grasping at straws because you can't call on the opportunities that setting offers you. Whereas if you choose something you're familiar with of all the things that happened in the first hangover, there's still 25,000 more debaucherous things that could happen in Vegas. Absolutely, yeah. And they know Vegas. And if you don't, then it's a short trip to Vegas or hire two guys that are from New York that know New York, right? There's any number of ways we can go. Yeah. Like, yes, I, I just, again, I get back to it. The Bangkok choice is a huge mistake. It's yeah. a huge mistake. Okay. It derails wherever. It, Chow works in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Jade works in Vegas. Yeah. Chow doesn't work in Bangkok because they bury him in an icebox the whole film. <laughs> yeah. And then we get into Interpol. Yeah. And then Jade would work even less in Bangkok. Yeah. But you know what does work in Bangkok? The stripper element. Mm-hmm. What's Jade? Yeah. Stripper. Come on, man. Yeah. This is so obvious. It probably plays better, right? Yeah. So they delivered the bank codes. Uh, I do like that bit where they sideswipe that pig and Stu has blood on his face. Like those are little just like comedic touches that are like, yeah, that, that worked pretty well. Yeah. Uh, just the total freak out moments. But they deliver Chow. You know, we find out it's Interpol. We don't have Teddy. So we're, we're the, we start back at the beginning with the phone call to Tracy, right? And then uh, much like the first film, we have this come to Jesus moment to Stu, right? He's able to just like, 
piece it together, mm-hmm. the lack of power, the ice on the floor, the like, you know, where's Teddy and uh, the missing finger and everything. So he's able to put it together really quickly, much like the first film, which is Doug's on the roof. Uh, Teddy's in the elevator this time. And so they're able to get him out. Thankfully, he's still alive, sweating it out. No, I don't know if I would survive 24 hours in a Bangkok elevator. Ugh, no way. <laughs> you might find me DOA on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's a race to get to the wedding, much like the first film. And I do like that this film, you know, at least wraps up in a way where, you know, if the, if the, the arc of Stu is just like he's letting this father-in-law of him just run all over him. He can't quite grasp it. Uh, doesn't think he's right for his, his daughter, right? He does kind of give it to him uh, here here at the end, and I think we do close that arc a little bit. wish I was a boring dentist who had a boring life and boring friends, but I don't. I'm not. I'm actually part of this weird wolf pack. <laughs> it's not weird. It's pretty cool, actually. No membership fee. I have heard enough of this. Come here. Whoa. Here's the deal, man. <laughs> I got a dark side. <laughs> so great. There's a demon in me. It's true. He has semen in him. <laughs> I said demon. But you also have semen in you, remember? It's <laughs> not relevant, but thank you, Alan. <laughs> That's all funny. Yeah, it's good. The point is, this demon takes me to some pretty weird places. We lost Teddy for two days in Bangkok. But that same demon took us to hell and back to find him. We took on Bangkok and we won. That's pretty fucking cool, if you ask me. <laughs> I love your daughter. And I'm going to marry her. Unless you have any problem with that. I'm good. All right. <laughs> but, all that said, it would actually mean a great deal to both of us if we could just get your motherfucking blessing. <laughs> Pretty good. Alan almost sticks his foot in his mouth again. Like, well, there is semen in you. Just <laughs> like, don't need to go there just yet. Polly was such a hypocrite, Jesse, because yeah. as hard as I've been on the film, there's lots of moments I still laugh. Well, that's because I picked all the good moments, right? You know what, though? Yeah. This is the quintessential summer of what? Yeah. Because even as hard as we've been on this, I'm leaning into the shoulder shrugged, mm-hmm. palm skyward, eyes looking up like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah. Of all of the three films we've covered here, okay. this one's the most frustrating. Okay. This movie isn't that far away from being a second masterpiece to the sequel. But as far as it's, it, as close as it is, it's still miles and miles away. Yeah. That's and that's fair. where like where you say, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Because what? It's either like, what were you doing or what were you thinking, right? Stu, who's been the whipping boy for two plus films, finally gets his moment. Mm-hmm. And he gets his moment with Mike Tyson's tattoo on his cheek. Yeah. He gets a moment to lay into his future father-in-law the way we never got to see him lay into his wife who yeah. banged out the steward on the, on the cruise ship. Well, they do have that scene, right, where they break up at the wedding in the first film. Those moments for Stu are tremendously powerful, and that's the arc. Yeah. Because here's the final question that I really need to ask you, and I won't talk through it. I'll, I'll I'll pose it and then give it to you. Okay. Who is the not by marquee, not by pay, by beats in the story and driving action? Who is the protagonist in this film? This film or 
this film. It's Stu. It's Stu. It's his wedding, right? It's yeah. Stu. Yeah. But he's not the one that's featured because there's such an amount of ancillary noise around him mm-hmm. that leads you to, he's the most arkable characters. Alan's a reject. He's going to be a reject, a weird reject the whole time. Yeah. Phil doesn't change one iota through either two films. Yeah. Doug's not present in either one of them, so there's no choice there. Yeah, Phil's like an instigator, right? He likes to stir the pot. He's the inciting incident. (laughs) He's the walking inciting incident. It's Stu, Jesse. Mm -hmm. But because Chow's in this, and because we're looking for little brother and all of those things, instead of looking for, you know what I want to look for? Mm -hmm. Alan. Mm -hmm. It takes the comedic piece out of there, but you could, there's still ways around that. Again, there's lots of opportunities that they could have made that wouldn't make me shrug my shoulders, palm skyward saying, what? But it just keeps happening sure. over and over and yeah, over. Yeah, I'm with you. Now, for the end here, do you is the addition of Mike Tyson, is this a good addition or just like, are we just retreading the greatest hits of the last film, right? I love that he's in here trying to cover Murray Head. <laughs> One Night in Bangkok is an impossible song. It's, and he does awful. <laughs> yeah, especially the rap part. Yeah, he's terrible at it. Yeah. But I love that he's in it. Mm-hmm. Um no, I love that. I love it. Okay. I love it. Uh, you know, this film wraps up again, similar ways. I think, you know, tapping into that formula of like, what are the moments that just had people rolling? I, I think when we go back and listen to that first hangover episode. I think I told the story when I went to see it with my parents. Oh my God. Uh, which, you know, it started as like, let's go see JJ Abrams, Star Trek sold out. Yeah. And I was like, I guess we could go see the hangover. And then just, that theater was laughing nonstop from beginning to end. And I'd never seen that before or since. Yeah. It was a unique experience, and part of that was the pol- the the Polaroids, the pictures at the end of the film, which was like, oh my god, the missing pieces of the night, right? Yeah. And here, like, they're funny, but like, they're just not as good as the first film, right? It's just everything's just a little bit less. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's rushed is the right word or half-assed. Maybe it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. It's just like we had to get the sequel out within two years. Uh, let's go to a different location, do the same things and kind of tread the same ground and just we'll laugh along the way, but just, it won't be as good as the first time. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where we're at with, with, with it all. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think I, I do feel you're frustrating because I, when this came out, I was, I, I saw this opening weekend. I was like, I got to see hangover part two. Like, mm-hmm. And then I think I was left a little bit, you know, you know, disappointed. And I've seen this film several times more than you have in the time spent. And, I think what I grasp onto a lot, I think it's just the comedy between these three guys is they're good together. Yeah. Like they, they really did that part, that piece really well. Yeah. Fair. Uh, the numbers on this one, uh, hang on a second here, $80 million budget, which is ladies and gentlemen, that's too expensive for a comedy. Like it's just 30 to 40 million or less. Hey, don't shoot it in Bangkok, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. Go to, go to New York. I mean, that's a, a that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a comedy, but five hundred and eighty-six million worldwide. I'd say. I think it's it still was a bit of a hit to warrant a third film, right? Sure. But I, I specifically remember this film had a huge Memorial Day opening. I think it set the record for R-rated comedy opening. I think it still has that record too for opening weekend. Mm. But I think it had like a sixty-four week second week drop off, which is huge, right? Yep. So it, it it died off slowly, and I think the Hangover one still made more money, uh, totally over this second film. So, um, 
it is what it is. And I don't know, maybe you and I will watch the hangover part three at some point in the future. Yeah. Cause I can't tell you what the hell happened in that movie. I just remember that was even lesser returns. And I think at that point, everyone had bailed on the hangover train, right? Mm-hmm. This potential franchise stalled out before it could even kind of really get going. Mm. And maybe that's a little frustrating. Like I think there's some, something here with these three that if in the right circumstances, when one of them has a baby, right? I mean, we're doing like what, like a baby. Oh my get, God. Getaway? Wedding shower. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. God, you want to age them a little bit, do one of their kids graduating from college. Yeah, there you go. And they're there and they throw the grad party and we watch their kids go. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, it's, it's almost like American pie, right? Yeah. Like, like American yes. wedding and yes. American reunion. And yeah. I feel like that this could have gone that way. And it just, I think this film has a lot to do with like where it could have gone and didn't go. Right. Mm-hmm. But with that, what is your favorite tasting note scene sequence moment of the hangover part two? The recounting of the night before events from Stu to the stripper that he fell in love with temporarily. <laughs> I was dying, man. I was laughing so hard. So inappropriate and so irreverent. Yeah. And the fact that poor Stu took one in the culo. Yeah. And cried afterwards. <laughs> and Ed Helms handles it like a master. Yeah. It's so well done. Yeah. I think I, uh, oh gosh, what am I going? My favorite. That, that, that's that's a really good one. Um, I think I'm just going to kind of collectively, like the moments of them just kind of interacting. Like there's a lot of really great drop lines of like, we're trying to search for Teddy, and all we've done is buy him hats and bags of and bag and, and soda. Hey, it's a bag of Fanta. <laughs> like all that's good for me. Yeah. Like them together is just like that. That that worked, uh, and this was really good evidence of that. Uh, what's the? Oh my god! Moment of uh, Hangover Part Two. And real quick before you you go. I watched that movie this week. Uh, I, I haven't seen it in about about ten years. Where that clip comes from? It's Troll Two. What a amazingly good bad movie uh, made by an Italian uh, with people from Salt Lake City that have no idea what they're making. Mm. There's a sex scene that involves corn and popcorn that you will never forget. You know, in the time when we're in a space of like, let's cover like good bad movies like Plan Nine from Outer Space or Manos. We got to throw Troll 2 in there. Like, okay. I don't know if you, you would particularly know what you were in for. There's some wonderful lines in that movie. Ooh, okay. In particular, oh my God. Yeah. But what are you picking uh, that you need some more Hirsch to drown out that moment? Shiitake mushroom. Oh, me too. <laughs> it's that. In the theater, I was like, I can't believe we're doing this. And I'm wondering, I'm like, either poor Ken Jeong or prosthetic or we're just doing it right hey we're, we're doing something to Kim Jong having the balls to throw it full frontal yeah whether that's him or not go get him you're buddy. just doing it yeah work with the good lord gave you I guess is that a spider's nest like, I know. <laughs> it's just so what and then Bradley Cooper comes in the scene because he's on the phone with Doug what is that it's just so good it's a good little moment right yeah uh who's the master distiller on the hangover part two Ed Helms for me. Uh, I really want more Ed Helms in my life. Yeah. I, I want him doing dry yeah. comedy. Uh, I want more Cedar Rapids. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know the last thing he was attached to, but if he's not, he needs to find a new agent because he, he's ready. He's ready yeah. to go. We need to get him in some things. Yeah. How about you? I'll go Galifianakis. How can you not? His Alan shtick is just really funny. Yeah. 
really well thought out. I think it's probably easy to write. And if there's, uh, there's got to be a little twinge of improvisation in some of this too. So mm-hmm. I think that's the guy. Uh, yeah, I'm also wondering, yeah, what what happened to him besides between two ferns? I mean, he's he's the great kind of like. I'll say this, you know, non offensively, but like the chubby, like like fat guy, that like is I think a, a comedic just staple, right? It's like the Chris Farley of it all. It's the John Belushi. It's like that, like John Candy. Like there's like that type of like persona in comedy is so important to making comedy work. It's Curly from the Three Stooges. It's, yes. Can't remember which one it is. I think it's, is it Stan Laurel? No, is it, it's Oliver Hardy, I think, yeah. is the, yeah, the uh, the big guy there. there. That component works in comedy because you're able to play so, and it's, I don't even think you're making fun of the weight. It's just that character is an outcast within the group he's put in. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a lot of natural comedy, I think, in that. Yes. Like, who is that? I mean, Jonah Hill, I think, Seth Rogen a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But I don't even know who that person is anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh Oh, yeah, where's Zach Galifianakis and his roles, too? Uh, great question. How are you going to rate and grade The Hangover Part 2? We have Rock Gut, Well, call Single Barrel and Tippy Top Shelf. Just call. Prior to the second being, I probably would have said Rock Gut just mm. off the top of my head. I've elevated it to... Yeah, I'm glad I played better, better for you in in memory. You know, we talk often about how I don't find the comedic moments and laugh out them like most people do. And it kind of bugs me. Like I hate that about myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm therapy here on Rice smile. Okay. I hate that. I don't get comedy the way most people do. Like my wife and my daughter started watching the office this week. Mm-hmm. I did like five minutes. I'm fucking out. I, I hate that. One show. of my favorite shows. I can't of do all it, time. man. Yeah. I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. It's not, I love Krasinski. I love Steve Carell. Yeah. I love Ed Helms. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. Yeah. So that being said, like yeah. I'm trying to make some progress personally sure, yeah. in the comedic area, which is stupid. I love to laugh. I don't yeah. get it. Yeah. They have a pretty good sense of humor mm-hmm. most times, yeah. but um, call. Yeah. Me too. I think it's, it's just, it doesn't have the uniqueness of the original cause we're doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think uh, it's just, it's a uh, same box, different pack or same contents, different packaging. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think a lot of it still plays. I mean, you and I laughed a lot through all those clips I played. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are things that work in this, but I, 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 I'm with you. I don't think it's what we wanted. And I would have liked a little bit more risk in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they play it a little too safe. But maybe time was of the essence. Maybe they were under the crunch to get it in the can and out by that release date. But... Yeah, I think it's a pretty frustrating film. I think it's a it's a well-earned spot in this particular cast of perfect looking forward to something that doesn't quite live up to the expectations laid before it, right? Yeah. yeah. Now you said the of the 3, what was the most disappointing? You said this one for sure for you. Mine Prometheus. I I think it's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Like I really remember being like so Ugh. jazzed to see that film and just being so disappointed at the end of it. Interdimensional aliens and just all of that, right? Rapier battles on the backs of yeah. Jeeps through the middle of the jungle as your balls get pummeled. Boat Jeeps. <laughs> if you were to rate them worst, second worst, best, would it go Crystal Skull, Prometheus, this? Like three Crystal Skulls are worth, Prometheus second worst, and this is the best of them. Absolutely, yep. Because I think that's where I would go too. Yeah. Crystal Skull is just a bad film. Mm-hmm. 
we can talk about summer of what and all that's that's just that's just a miss yeah we did two hours on why it was a miss yeah right there's pieces of prometheus that kind of lean into this could have been good yeah and there's a few moments in prometheus like we both said this is pretty good Mm -hmm. it gets in its own way right it does yeah this movie has the most promise. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yet what all three of them deliver, whether it's not attacking an ancient culture and giving it to me the way that's in training, like Indy should have done, yeah. or the backstory of Alien, the way it was promoted and then not delivered the way Prometheus did, or what comedic masterpiece this set up and then decided to do again, but just not as well because for whatever reason, yeah. all three of these end up being wickedly frustrating, just varying degrees in that spectrum. Yeah. This is the least frustrating. That doesn't mean that it's still not frustrating. And what's frustrating about this one is, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, look at what we're comparing them to, though. Mm-hmm. If you compare Raiders to Crystal Skull, oh, Alien to Prometheus, yeah. and Hangover to Hangover 2, yeah. it's an impossible comparison because those are three perfect films. Lofty expectations, yeah. So measuring them against their predecessor is difficult to meet that. Yeah, but you kind of have to, right? You got to fucking write the hell out of it, man. Yeah. You And when you get stuck, you can't go like, how about monkeys? How about aliens? How about another Jesus? Mon- another monkey. <laughs> or another monkey. Yeah. It's in the writing, I think, for each of these three. I it's think the so. I, th- I think so, too. Uh, and I think I think you're right. I think in, in Crystal Skull, when I watched that again, I was just like, I had a look of just disdain on my face. I'm <laughs> just like, God, this is so fucking bad. Mm-hmm. But Prometheus was like... This is pretty bad, but like I still like some of this. I love the look of it. I love the world. I love Ridley Scott here. I love Fassbender. And here, I'm actively laughing out loud at a lot of these mm-hmm. moments. I'm just like, gosh, like this could have gone in like three different directions. Yep. And it's weird that we ended up here. But still, I think pretty watchable, right? Yeah. It's a good it's a good kind of breakdown of those three films. I think the fourth one that we toyed around and hey man, it's not like this guy's starting for to do another cask of his films, but we talked about doing the village on this uh mm-hmm. cask as well. Another mm-hmm. equally frustrating film uh from Mr. Shyamalan, right? But I can't tell you it's a bad ter- I can't tell you that's a terrible film yeah. either. Not terrible, but it has its moments. Though. Oh, it has its moments. Atrocities, right? Dude, what the hell is Adrian Brody doing in that movie? Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I think that one's going to wheel its way around in another Shyamalan thing because we've never done signs. Yeah. I would love to talk about that. Like we got to somehow diagnose. I think you and I have to take the plunge on The Last Airbender Ooh. as like a sort of a bad movie experiment. I mean, we, we could do Devil, Knock at the Cabin, old like... I don't know. Maybe Shyamalan has another three casts left in him. Right? He does. He's a very, very <laughs> and I think important tough to, director. I think an important to us in terms of our little film journey, right? Yeah. But uh, let's wrap this up. I'm excited for this. Actually, yeah. let's. I'm. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Well, we're living here in Allentown, and he's driven our lives into the ground. When we woke up, we were wasted and drunk. Phil got shot. We got beaten by a monk. I was happy and my life was good. Getting married like a dentist should. Roasting marshmallows on a stick. I got fucked in the ass. My girl with a dick. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs>
<laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and we're living here in Allentown. My favorite Billy Joel song, by the way. The yeah. original. Yeah. I love Allentown. But my just favorite. More argument to the Ed Helms creativity, oh right? Oh my god, yeah. The music, the just his ability and I know you're probably not going to stick around in the office, but when he does show up in season three, I mean, he does a lot of that like musicality, like comedy with his character, Andy Bernard. Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. So this nightcap is, I love playing fantasy drafts, fantasy. We got football coming up here in just a little bit, Matt. Yep. Uh, Let's take the hangover, but let's make it in the eighties. Okay. What three actors are you placing in these three roles if it's being made in the 80s? Let's go let's go by character. Sure. Okay, let's do um I did Doug too. So I did four. So okay. I'll give you my Doug. Okay. And then we'll so my Doug is Michael J. Fox. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> then a pretty good time. Um let's do you want to do Stu next? Let's do Stu, yeah. You'd give me your Stu, then I'll give you my Stu. Okay. My Stu, uh yeah, if we're doing eighties, this was a guy that tapped into this in the eighties, and I'm wondering where's where's it at now, dude. I think Tom Hanks could slay Stu in the eighties. Such a good choice. Mr. Money Pit, Mr. Big, right? It's like he has that like straight man, like frantic humor in those roles, right? Just bosom buddies, just freaking out, yep. but still being grounded and funny at the same time. Yep. He's my stew. Okay, my stew is Chevy Chase. Okay. That's pretty good. I could see him as a straight man in this, but the straight man that's a little bit tortured. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a run with Chevy Chase in there with Modern Problems and some of that other stuff that's... Is it Modern Problems? Um, That's not Modern Problems. Yeah, it is. There's like a a four run in there prior to Fletch. Like, I actually hate Fletch. I think that movie fucking blows. I like Vacation Chevy Chase. Sure, I do too. Um, that Chevy Chase, I think, pulls off Stu. Okay. Okay, so you have Stu, and I've got Stu, and I've got Doug. Let's do... Um, Phil? Let's do Phil. Okay. Go. Eddie Murphy. Yeah, me too! Yeah. That's who I chose too! He has to be in this movie, right? Yeah, it's Eddie Murphy! At the height of his powers in 85, right? He's the kind of like, wants to have a good time, gonna push the envelope, gonna rattle some cages. I mean, that's what Cooper Axel does. Axel Foley. Yeah, that's what Cooper does. But like, give me Eddie Murphy doing that in the 80s. Dude, we're making a better movie. <laughs> Damn, we, I love this cast so far. Yeah. Damn, Eddie Murphy, both of us. That's pretty good. I, if we both have the same Alan, I'm leaving. Okay. Go. One, uh, two, th- uh, no, no, no. Yeah. My Alan. You mentioned, uh, my, you mentioned my Alan earlier. Okay. Uh, I love my choice. One of my favorite actors from <laughs> okay. the 80s. I love just how awkward he is and how just weird he can make a situation. But I want Rick Moranis as Alan. I kicked the tires on him for Stu, but I love that choice. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Tell me why. Just like, you know, like think of like Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors yeah. or Louis Tully from Ghostbusters. He's just so weird and inkling and kind of pathetic. But I could see him like putting together a weird situation to make people fall in love with him. Right. Yeah. Just like Galifianakis. And give me that weird, awkward nerd humor with Moranis, with Hanks and Murphy. You got three drastically different comedians doing oh my God. very different things, right? Yep. Avon Calling. Mm-hmm. John Belushi yep. is my Alan. Nice. You mentioned him earlier. Cheeseburger, 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 cheeseburger. Taken far too quick from us. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's that element of, of Alan with me that's, Awkward, but sort of unaware that you're awkward. And I think Belushi could have pulled that off. Yeah. Uh, John Belushi. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's go see these films. Oh, those sound pretty great, right? Mm -hmm. 
Did you get, I know you're a big fan. Did yeah. you find a place anywhere in this for Bill Murray? Uh, I couldn't find a place for him. Maybe Stu. Maybe. Maybe Phil. Okay. But I, I, I was like, I was like, I think I could pick guys that I think would work better together. Yeah. Steve Martin. I could see him as a Phil. Or no, 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 as a Stu. I could see him as a Stu too. Yeah. Straight man, comedy. Yeah. yeah. I could see Martin Short as a bit of an Allen. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Except uh. he'd do that fucking Ed Grimley thing, and I can't, I can't, I can't take that again. You said that a couple of weeks ago, just like I just don't understand Martin Short. Oh, Have you ever seen Clifford, the Red Dog? No, no, no. He made a movie in 1989 or 91 where he plays like a little man boy. He's like he, he looks like Martin Short in his late early 40s, but he's playing like a 10 year old boy. Oh no, who. Charles Grodin has to take care of him, oh and it's God. just a disaster. No. Oh, it's hilarious. Is it good? It's pretty funny. All right. But it's like, dude, does Grodin have the patience for a Martin Short uh, man-child? The answer is no. Mm. <laughs> Two more for you. Okay. Richard Pryor. No. Phil for me. No. Phil for me. No Richard Pryor on this list for Gene me. Gene Wilder. Uh, Alan? Well, I could see him as an Alan. I could see him as a stew as well. If we did 70s, yeah, I think maybe I'm putting Wilder on the list. But I, I tried to think of, like, those 80s guys, right? Those, like, legendary comedian Dan Aykroyd. I was like, eh, maybe. Uh, I'll see him in this. Dude, I'll put, do put him in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> One more, because okay. I went through the whole Ghostbusters cast of mine. Harold Ramis is... I thought, yeah, Stu. Stu. Yeah, me too. I thought about that one. Too. That seemed a little too obvious. Yeah. But I really went on Hanks, and the other, the other Stu that I thought would be pretty good would be Robert Downey Jr. around that time. I hadn't thought about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love the cast. That could be fun. That sounds great. It does. But Matt, we have yeah, I've been I've kind of written this little bit I'm about to do here. Okay. Uh we have a bit of a podcast anomaly uh here. Mm. We have done three Todd Phillips movies on this podcast. Wow. Joker, Hangover One, and now Hangover Two. Yep. We've only done one film of this particular filmmaker, and it arguably maybe his least favorite movie of his tenant mm. but we got to talk about christopher nolan mm. and he's got arguably the most important biggest film of the summer coming out next week in oppenheimer yeah matt we got to do a nolan cask Let's right? do it. it's just it seems about time right it does and what better film to start than the film that i think brought him to the masses and in my research what i found out uh kind of import uh steven soderbergh had a hand in bringing this to the spotlight really We'll talk a little bit about that, but next week, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about Memento. Oh my God, yes. From 2000. Love that. This is going to be good. I'm in a really good space right now with Nolan and this film and kind of what it means for the industry, but how he's made it. Robert Downey Jr. has gone on record and has said that this is the best movie he's ever been in. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some hype building up for that particular film, but we got to talk about the guy, how he makes films. What better way than this mind bender of a story, right? Mm -hmm. Film noir to the nth degree. Guy Pierce, Joe Pantoliano, yep. Carrie Ann Moss. Dude, what are we doing with the new mementos? A fantastic film, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to be in, in this. The bad cop from Batman, too. Nolan's Batman is oh, the yeah. front. Of Mark Boone Jr. Yeah, you go. Mark Boone he runs Jr. that mm -hmm. little CD hotel. Yeah. I'll just be up front with. He's my favorite working filmmaker it's going to be hard for me to be unapologetic about how much i love his style of filmmaking so there's a little bit of bias there so um i'm excited to talk about this well this is going to be such a fun cast yeah and one and two 
We'll see about Oppenheimer because we don't know, haven't seen it yet. We don't know, yeah, what's waiting for us. But the I, other film that we'll leave that one to what it'll be. One and two are both in my top fifteen of all time. Mm-hmm. So I mean, cats out of the bag. These are going to be highly rated films, but I can't wait to talk about really good cinema after the last frustrating four weeks we've done. Sure, that's new releases and the hall of what, right? Yeah. Yep. To return to a like a filmmaker and just kind of get in the weeds with him for a little bit. The things we like, the things we dislike, uh, and yeah, I think we're starting at a really good place uh, for him. Mm-hmm. When that whole Fincher, Soderbergh, new wave filmmaker is kind of re- reaching its apex with the directors that are going to take that and then craft the entire 2000s with their filmography, right? Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be wild. Me too. And I got a kind of an interesting way i think we can go about doing this episode oh sweet okay so forward and backward at the same time possibly Mm. you got that coming to you next week uh but until then you know check us out on any of the social media platforms rysmile productions at gmail.com apple podcast spotify podbean google wherever you listen to podcasts we're, we're available on any platform but i gotta get going uh, I got to go get a tattoo removed. Uh, I think I'm going to get that tattoo of Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly removed because, man, dude, like, I can't have a pipe piece of the flash on me. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. I hope Mike Tyson doesn't have the same one because he's going to beat your ass. Or I'll get sued, right? Indeed. Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The Hangover Part 2 is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, Legendary Pictures, Green Hat Films, and Bender Spink. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time. Cheers. Hey, guys. You're not going to believe this. Is that your phone? Yeah. How come you never tried calling us? It's been dead for two days. But I recharged it and found all these photos. What? Shit. Yeah, some of it's pretty messed up. Awesome. Let's check them out. Whoa, 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 whoa. No one needs to see this stuff. Come on, man. Come on. I'm Mike Tyson. I've seen everything. It'll be fine. What? <laughs> all right. We look at it once. And then we delete them. It's gonna be okay. Ah! Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs>